Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. Today, we're talking about 1899. Maybe for the last time, we're talking about episode eight, The Key. We're recapping it, and I'm doing this with my co-host, Nate. Hello there, Nate. How's it going, Steve? Fine. I mean, excuse me. Ahoy there, Nate. Oh, yeah. Ahoy. Ahoy, Steve. (laughs) Yeah, Nate, um, I'm not sure if we're going to be doing the... um, the recap plus our season wrap up or not. So basically listener, just look at the timestamp on this episode. If it's about an hour and 20 minutes, like usual, that means we're just doing a season eight recap. I mean, a episode eight recap. And if it's about two hours or so, then that means we're doing our season uh, wrap up as well. Just look at the timestamp. We'll figure it out as we go. But uh, Nate, kick it to you. We just finished watching 1899. What are your general thoughts about this? Show's over. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but something happened before it went before it went over. Something did happen. One thing, only one thing happened. <laughs> now, um I guess with the recent news of the show being canceled and things like that, we're left with a lot of questions, but I almost find that the ending of the season slash series was was almost enough. It left you with questions, and you you could expect more. But at the same time, if Netflix would have released this as just a limited series or whatever, you would almost appreciate it more because there's not more coming after it. Hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if that makes too much sense no it does i mean i don't agree with you but what you said makes sense <laughs> i wouldn't be satisfied with this ending if that was like if this was like the ending that they intended i probably wouldn't be satisfied with this ending because there is too many questions left but it is a good ending point i suppose all right that's that's well put that's better than my answer <laughs> no it's not <laughs> we just have well, different answers that's all well with the end of the, with the end of the show I kind of compared it to another show that's out that is a limited series, and it's that Witcher Blood Origin. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference is that we've already had two seasons of Witcher, and we're getting ready to go on to the third. And the way that that – because you didn't watch The Witcher, correct? Not you started really. watching it, but you didn't finish. Yeah, you didn't finish it was it. like a background show for me, kind of. So pretty much at the end of Witcher Origins – you see one of the first couple scenes from the first episode of the actual Witcher show. Okay. Now, if we hadn't gotten the Witcher show afterwards, it would have sparked enough interest that I probably would have taken the time to play the games or to read the books or something like that. So, not that there's literature that goes with 1899, at least not as far as I know. There's not. Um. But who knows? Maybe something comes out. I, I would love a graphic novel of some sort if they didn't continue with. I mean, I'd love a second season. And that's what I want to ramp into here. But um, I'd be content if they just did a novel or a graphic novel or anything to uh, continue the story, because I love the story. Like at the end, you know, when we when we saw them all like in their pods and the characters that had quote unquote died were there like Yuck and Crestor were up in that pod too. And they had both jumped off the side of the ship. So, you know, they're still okay, more or less. 
I was kind of thinking that they were, they were going to zoom out and we were going to be in the pyramid because I've been convinced that all this is happening inside of a pyramid. But so I was very surprised and excited to see that it was, you know, the giant spaceship Prometheus floating around, but I really expected them to be inside the black pyramid. Um, so yeah, it was a surprise to me, but a good surprise, I guess. Speaking of pyramids, I almost think because I mean, pyramids have been plastered everywhere Mm -hmm. and I don't think we got the true meaning of the pyramid despite, I mean, I know the key and things like that, but, uh, I feel like they're supposed to play a bigger part. They've been, they've been crammed down our throats for eight episodes. Right. And we just didn't get enough information about them. So from where the show has ended now, if there would be no season two or anything beyond that, do you feel that the pyramids were almost useless? No, because, um, I don't know. I like the imagery of a pyramid. I like the fact that we had a lot of, uh, thruples, I guess, like, you know, characters that come in threes, uh, Virginia, Ying Lee, yuck, um, Daniel, Mara, Ike, or Daniel, Mara, and the boy, um, Lucian, Clements, Jerome, etc. But the symbol itself, it's clear that the symbol is supposed to be upside down, like the symbol for Earth. And that's also like the symbol for fertility and motherhood as well. So that's the ship symbol. So I think it's pretty telling that that is what the symbol is for is I think it points to Mora being the creator and Mora, you know, being the central protagonist and antagonist of the show. I guess thinking of it just now, I think it only strictly has to deal with Mara because the way to wake up was all based around the pyramid. But I guess, I guess the way that I was thinking of it is that uh, they gave the pyramids to have this, they had this mystical supernatural essence about them. Like the big, the big black pyramid off in the distance, the one that the boy holds, like you don't really know what's going on with that. I mean, everything from the earrings to the sign on the ground, (laughs) Because, I mean, you think about it, yeah, it definitely could relate to Earth, the Earth symbol and things like that. That's totally fine. But maybe because they say that Mara has such trouble waking up, maybe that was her just trying to put in like a fail safe that maybe she finally just sees one of them and is like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do to get out of this. Hmm. Like a guidepost kind of. Yeah, kind of. Did you notice that, um, I mean, we're going to get to this when we get to it at the very end of the episode, but she also had a, uh, one of those pyramid tattoos on the back of her neck, just like Elliot did when they showed her in the spaceship at the end, looking out the window. It was clear. I did not, I did not notice it. And I almost didn't even recognize that as Mara. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because she had her hair up. Yeah. Well, or cut, if it was, she cut it all off. Uh, no. No, mm, she did. They showed they showed in the making of 1899. They get they chopped all her hair off for that scene, like for real. 
I could have swore when she turned her head one time, it looked like she had like a real tight bun or something like that. Nope. She's a, I thought she looked like David Bowie personally. So it, it like confirmed that like when they started playing, that's the first thing I thought is she looked like David Bowie, short red hair, pale, questioning eyes. And then they played David Bowie. It was, (laughs) it was wonderful. I loved it. All right. Uh, folks and listeners actually 1899 was just david bowie's biopic (laughs) so well hey man we're getting off to a a big start here before we get into the recap i need to go into something um sure we all want to save 1899 and there are a lot of projects picking up steam for this i'm going to put them all in the show notes but there have been the what do you call them when you you're, the petitions? <laughs> I've lost the word for petitions. English is hard. You're right. I signed two <laughs> petitions. One of one of which was like a preliminary petition, and then the, there's the real petition going out, which has like almost ninety thousand signatures currently. Uh, so definitely get bored of that. On get on board with that. Don't get bored with that. <laughs> Social media. They are asking us if you post about 1899 to always use the hashtag save 1899 or and 1899 Netflix so that those can all be filtered into the same place. Furthermore, there is a letter writing campaign that, you know, Steve Barnes is going to get on top of that one. Um, They're encouraging everybody to, you know, flood the Netflix offices with actual letters Um, you know, protesting, not protesting, because the whole point of the letters is to politely ask Netflix to resend their uh, (laughs) decision there. So I'm going to put the address of where to write those letters to in the show notes. And the goal is for those letters to be in the mailbox on Friday the 13th. So they'll all get to the Netflix office on the next week. So I'll be releasing this episode ASAP to give you all time to do that. Um, that it's something fun to do and be creative with it. There's descriptions on here of exactly what to do. All you got to do is send a postcard basically with those hashtags and your thoughts on it. Some people have some cool ideas to make your letter look like the letters that all the passengers on 1899 received and put those cool, uh, fonts on the back there. I don't know, have fun with it, but definitely go on social media Use that hashtag, save1899 and 1899 Netflix. So I was supposed to say that at the very beginning, but here we are 13 minutes in, whatever. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. But yeah, I'm going to go into our recap now. Nate, how does that make you feel? (laughs) Peachy keen. Right on. Uh, So we're going to start out here. We got... Oh, this is a beautiful starting of of our episode here. We got Mara and Elliot, and they're playing out in that field that's around, kind of looks like Mara's world, but this, we know this is Elliot's world. And Elliot found the little beetle and he named him Alfred. He's not scrappy. He's Alfred. I mean, I like our name better, but. All these name changes. I know. Scrappy to Alfred, <laughs> Zombie Boy to Elliot, Wet Man to Daniel. Sauce Boss to Franz. Sauce Boss to Franz. I'm I'm going to contact the gentleman <laughs> running this and say, I got some ideas. 
<laughs> well, Elliot's idea is to put Alfred in a little box. And Mara's like, eh, I don't know if that's a great idea. Elliot's like, yeah, I want to watch him grow up. Kind of sounds like uh, his granddad, Henry, there. He wants to put Alfred in a little box and watch him all the time and creep him out. Uh, anyway... <laughs> They seem pretty jolly and happy in this dream world. Uh, big hugs. Oh, yeah. Mara makes a bit, a pretty big statement from Mara in our last episode here. She says that you need to let things go. You can't keep them forever. Don't know if she's talking about past trauma or <laughs> pain, but that's what she says is to let things go. You can't hold on to them forever. Um, he, quote unquote, wakes up in the pyramid world where it's you know creepy and cloudy and he looks pretty scared and freaked out, not loving it. And then Mara tells him to wake up one more time. So there's a very inception, kind of a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream. He wakes up for real and he's in that room with Henry. We're not even sure if this is <laughs> a reality or not, but he's in that room with Henry now. And Henry confirms that everybody came on this trip to forget their pasts and to forget their trauma. This is what he's telling Elliot here. This is very eternal sunshine of the spotted mind where that seems like that's what everybody's reason for being on the ship is. But he says that Mara has fooled them all. Do you, I, I'm clueless. Do you have any guesses there? I think maybe it would be, do you think that they have some, minor awareness of what's going on that this has happened before you mean henry and crew yeah i think so now that you're asking me i i kind of believe that henry is stuck in the same simulation that everybody else is just like daniel said except he is like condemned to like be the watcher and he has to watch it all unfold every single time and he's stuck in that room and he's stuck in that pyramid world just watching them and kind of helpless. Well, not helpless, yeah. I guess, but, you know, he's not yeah. in there with them. Right. That's just my guess. I'm just taking Daniel's I'm, word for it. I don't know whose word to take. I don't know. They're all liars. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're liars. Well, I don't know. That, that is – he does call Daniel a liar as a matter of fact, later on does do some name calling. Hey man, watch it, yeah. Henry. Take it easy. <laughs> but yeah, Mars fooled us all somehow. I don't know with that gorgeous red hair. She's got us all fooled. Um, we're going to move on to our shipyard, the one full of boats. Um, they, I think they called them in the last episode. They said they were going to put them all in the archive. Mm -hmm. So these boats are like in the archive. So if this is a simulation, I guess these boats would all just be like programs. And this is just where they store all the programs is in this giant ocean. Uh, so Ike comes aboard the Kerberos. Speaking of big hugs, he gets a big old hug from Mora here. And the rest of the crew was like just standing in a line watching them hug. I thought this was pretty, you know, it, it rated an A plus and awkward in my opinion. Yeah. She reveals everything to them. She, she doesn't hold back anything. She tells them that Daniel is her husband and that Elliot is her son. 
she fills she fills everybody in on the simulation and she defines the word simulation for them because I think this word didn't exist back then. So she kind of explains it to them, you know, what a simulation is. And they kind of all not assume they kind of all realize here that they don't really remember coming aboard the ship. They don't have a lot of memories before being on the ship. And you can tell by Virginia's face that that's, that's the case. Um, I wanted to make a note here of the languages that everybody speaks because Mara is saying an awful lot of stuff to these people and I'm not sure everybody understands her. So Virginia definitely does. She speaks English, Cantonese and French. Clements probably does because she speaks a little bit of English, but she also speaks French. So Virginia could fill her in later. Jerome right now is clueless. He's just listened to this all go down. He only speaks French. So Clements maybe fill him in later. Um, Ling, because she's hanging out with Virginia, she's probably fine too. She speaks a little bit of English, but she speaks Cantonese. Mm -hmm. Tove, little bit of English. She like speaks like a couple words here and there. She's mostly German and Dutch. But then we got Ramiro here. He only speaks Portuguese, Spanish, and very, very little English. So he's probably the most clueless of everyone of like what exactly is happening and what Mara has just explained to everyone. They all have letters. They pull letters out of their pockets. Like every single one of them has one of these letters. We don't see Jerome pull one out, but we know that he had a letter because he had Lucian's room number. Um, so, you know, Jerome has been sitting here on the path too. So... I was a little surprised to see Tove had a letter. And I think there was another character too that I wasn't expecting to see a letter. Ling, I wasn't expecting her to have a letter either. No, she had a letter in her episode, didn't she? I don't think so. Virginia did. We saw Virginia's, but not Ling's. At least, I mean, not to my memory. I don't remember seeing her have one. I looked at my notes. I didn't see anything written down. Hmm. But so here we got Daniel. Daniel is not there with them up on board, but he is on the ship. He's like doing his thing, trying to help, hacking into this system. Still not exactly sure if like he's what side he's on, if he's working with the father, but we know for sure he knows what he's doing. He's like proficient at what he's doing. He's not taking guesses. He's pulling specific wires and putting them in specific places. So he has a knowledge of how this whole thing works. So we're going to go back to Henry. He's still hanging out talking to Elliot. He says that we cannot delete our memories, that they're woven into us like fabric. Uh, They're standing here in the pyramid world with Elliot. And he's able to just to change the background of his world, like with his little shell devices. We know it's called a shell now. That's what Daniel calls it. That little slidey triangle thing. He has called a shell. Uh, but he's leading Elliot back to Mora's world of where the medical building is. And he tells Elliot that they're in a simulation that he doesn't necessarily tell him that nothing can hurt him here, but he tells him some along the lines of like, whatever happens here is not real. So no worries. Which made me think about people like Angel, for example. Um, he got crushed and killed. 
But we know from the end of this episode, he's up there in that spaceship with Mara. So he's actually okay. So yeah. I think, I think you can get hurt in this world and like you register the pain in your brain, but you don't actually succumb to it. I gotcha. Like one thing I noticed when I went back and rewatched was Jerome. Like they, when Jerome got in that fight in the hallway with all those crew members and he like beat up like six of them and then Franz took like the gun to his face or like hit him in the face. His eye looked terrible. When we saw him in the brig, he, his face was just falling apart. And then the next episode, his face looked fine or not fine, but way better. And I wanted to nitpick that. Um, when I went back and rewatched, I wanted to nitpick that, but then I realized, well, this is a simulation. So it kind of makes sense that <laughs> things are going to heal a little bit faster. Things are going to go along a little differently, I suppose. Right. I kind of gave the showrunners a pass on that one, I, I should say. <laughs> Next point, we are back on the Kerberos and the gang is encountering all those crystals. Like the crystals are popping up like nobody's business. And Virginia turns around and she's questioning Mara. Um, kind of like, you know, accusing Mara, actually. Like I said before, Mara is super forthright with everyone. She doesn't hide anything from anybody. So I, I believe that she has forgotten. And if she hasn't forgotten, she's not very good at being deceiving because every piece of information that she learns, she shares with somebody. Usually it's Ike or Daniel, but everything she learns, she shares. So I think that's pretty significant. But she shares the things about her memories, the letter, the key, everything. Uh, we know that the key will open something to help Mara remember something, and then she can get them all out. She's kind of trying to explain this to them. Uh, she's very aware that like everything kind of uh, rests on her shoulders. She's very aware that she's the main character. <laughs> um, maybe it's an ego thing. I don't know. Or maybe she knows in the back of her mind that she's the creator. I don't know, but she knows that she's the main character, but the gang just wants to get off this ship. And that seems reasonable to me too. I'd want to get off this ship as well. Seems very reasonable. Mara's insisting to them. There's like nowhere for you to go. Like I'm telling you, there's nowhere to go, but everybody else is like, when we look out in the sky, we see all this water. So obviously we can go somewhere. So everybody splits except for Ike. Ike is only her, uh, her only standby here. Everybody else leaves her. And I'm going to leave you here, Nate. It's about time for our first break. All right. So we'll be back in just one sec. Hit it. Yep, and we're back. We were just listening to Drone Gazer there. That was Old Gods, New Masters. Great tune. It's like a 10, 11, 12-minute song. It's awesome. Check it out on Bandcamp. It's on the show notes right there. And we're going to come back in with Ike and Mara. You know, like, Ike is her wingman now. He's hanging out with her. They go to go down the portal in Mara's room, and it's not there. Like, I think it was last episode, like, she and Daniel 
like noticed that that shaft was gone and Daniel had to go find another way to do his thing. Uh, they try to pry away at it. It doesn't seem to work. And for some reason, like Mara's ring, I guess we know later that this ring is like a, it's like a stationary object. It's like a code within, but she's holding the ring and the ring seems to guide her to Daniel's room. And Daniel still has that shaft, baby. He's still got it. Um, I don't know why he his is still there and the others are gone. Kind of thinking it might have something to do with the fact that he is not a regular passenger on the Kerberos. So that might be why his portal didn't disappear like everybody else's did. I don't know. But they have theirs. They go down to Daniel's room. And they basically talk about how Mora doesn't remember things and how the creator created all of this. Ike's first thought is always, you mean God? And she never really shuts him down on that one, but we're pretty sure that's not what she's talking about. But here they, I think this is very significant in season two. I think we'll explore this a lot more if there is a season two. He starts talking about how patterns and blueprints and Mara is talking about how like the brain is like a blueprint and everything is connected within. And she's talking about connected pathways, different areas of the brain that are connected with one another. At this point, like she pulls apart the wall and we find like a bunch of more wires back there, another pathway. I just think this is significant because we're talking about all these paths being connected. And we know later on when Daniel does his thing, like the, the channels get like mixed up, like Virginia and Tove end up like in Jerome's world. And I think that this could be significant to how, like when they're in that pod up in space and they're all kind of connected with those headsets that they're all kind of wired in together and they're all kind of having like a, a large communal experience, except they're all having their own little portions of it and they're all connected in some sort of way. And I think that this line of dialogue kind of led me to think that. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we do know that most of this is inside Mora's brain. Like almost everything that we see is inside of Mora's brain. We don't know like if what we see inside Ling Yi's brain is inside Mora's brain also, but we're pretty much seeing Mora's perspective of almost everything. So meanwhile, Daniel's downstairs still trying to hotwire that thing that he's working with that came from the sky, it looks almost like a cerebral cortex as well. It's like the main brain of the system. Mm-hmm. He's doing his thing down there. Uh, yeah, like I said before, he knows what he's doing with it. Everything that happens from here on is because of Daniel. Because Daniel's in there messing with stuff. So pretty much every happenstance that happens from here is because of what he's monkeying with. Some of which I think is intentional, but I think a lot of it is just like blowback. Like he didn't exactly mean for all this to happen, but 
It's just where the path led him. And this most recent hack, the crystals, this is when the crystals are really going crazy. And the rooms turn red, the hallways are red, there's sirens going off. They split into three different groups and they're pretty much forced to flee. Meanwhile, back in room 1011 at the asylum, this is where we got Henry and Elliot. Henry is like, led Elliot in there. Are you brave enough to come check this out, Elliot? Yeah, sure, whatever. Henry mentions that muscle memory that your mind forgets, your body will still remember. Uh, and you see that like with uh, with fish a lot, like a fish can get like its head chopped off and I'll still be flopping around. Chickens, of course, do the same thing. I think that's significant. That's something that he mentions to Elliot, that our bodies remember these things where our brain forgets. He leads Elliot to come have a seat. At this point, what are you thinking? Like run, Elliot, right? Yeah, get out of there. I was not on board with Elliot sitting down. Mm -mm. Henry tells him that this is Elliot's world, though, that this world was created for Elliot. Henry grabs the white syringe, and you see that there's a white and a black syringe. Did you um, catch those syringes Mm -hmm. and what each one does? What each one does? No, I just knew that there were two different ones. Yeah, the white one makes you remember things and the black one makes you forget things. So like when Mara gets the shot that she doesn't want to get, she's getting a black shot to like make her forget stuff. I got it. I gotcha. Elliot takes it like a champ. (laughs) Yeah, he really does. Like, I mean, he just, he just got stuck in the neck. Like it was no one's business. Yeah. I, Brave boy, brave boy. Love this guy. Hats off to you, Elliot. (laughs) He goes back to a time where he sees uh, Mara and Element, Mara and Elliot, and it seems like they're trying to do some kind of odd experiment on Elliot because they're both wearing like their black suits. Um, She's grabbing the black syringe, which she's going to shoot Elliot with, I guess, to help him forget. As we see Elliot, he's like struggling and crying and stuff like that. But I got the sense that in Daniel and Mara's world that Elliot might have been dead or unconscious. That's, I guess, I guess that was something that I was going to ask while we were on the break mm-hmm. about, you said grief was one of the themes of the show. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to fully comprehend, is Elliot alive or is he he dead? Right. Because, you know, Henry says, she made this all for you and things like that. So are we just, are we talking prolonged grief right now? Like, did Mara create the whole simulation? And maybe Elliot is just a really elaborate AI or I mean, it's sci-fi at this point. So right. Did Elliot's consciousness somehow get put into the simulation and somehow maybe Mara's working out the kinks. Everyone's working out the kinks to make (laughs) this a more, well, no, almost to make it like a permanent matrix 
situation where all these people can live and have full lives and do things like that inside of the simulation while their their physical bodies are floating around in space. Hmm. I don't I don't know. I've always got the impression that Elliot was Elliot died and that he's dead and that Mara here is trying to like resurrect him in some sort of way. And the only way she can maybe is in some kind of simulation world, simulated world, because they talk about how they, the first simulation they made was like Elliot's little playroom. So I'm thinking that like he's dead they brought him back to life in some sort of simulation thingy. She gave him the black shot to make him forget, you know, whatever it was that killed him or make, make him forget his old life. We never see him eat. Like, Mar brings him food and he never eats. So I think that's significant. He never eats. But one of the things that makes me think maybe he is alive still is how Daniel interacts with him. I also think that Daniel might not be alive too. But Daniel was in, he was in the room, was he not? He was not. He was not. There was an empty spot that could have been his spot. There was two empty spots. One was Mora that she walked out of and there was one more empty spot. So it could have been her brother, Siren. It could have been her dad. Could have been Daniel. I doubt very seriously it was Elliot. We didn't see Elliot up there. We didn't see your dad. We didn't see Daniel. We didn't see Sebastian. So I think it's a good chance that those people are either dead or stuck in the simulation. Well, that's a that's a pretty big ship that they were all on. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously... Yeah. What if he's just in a different room? He could like all be. The end- all the NPCs and stuff like that right? could all just be other people on that pod in the simulation. And maybe Elliot got put, put in another room. I mean, I, he was the only kid in the whole, well, Ada, except Ada. She wasn't up there either. Maybe there's like a, a children's ward of the big <laughs> no see you, you're laughing but it's it's possible maybe it's funny, like that's a, a funny like, thought that's all <laughs> it's like a children's ward on the on this you know space station where they have like coloring books and stuff yeah ada <laughs> and elliot and maybe hmm. i don't know maybe tove's kid somehow is in there <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, it sounds goofy. I mean, it's a serious thought, but it's goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, they panned and showed us every face in that room, so I'm. I'm pretty sure that's significant. They wanted to show us these characters, and they didn't show us other characters for a reason. You're absolutely right. There's like 1,400 other people on this ship, and there's 550 crew members on that same spaceship, because that's what the little printout said. So you're absolutely right, but I just, I somehow doubt it. And I also have a theory about Ada too. I think that Ada might actually be dead. And that's the real reason that that whole family is up there grieving because they can't get over that fact. I mean, I know we saw that thing happen with Tove where she was assaulted by that guy, 
but we've also been introduced to the theory of false implanted memories by Daniel. He says that mm. Mara has some false memories that were implanted in her. So I'm wondering if maybe the, the Tove family, that's what I call them for some reason. Um, something happened to Ada and she's central to like why the four of them are up there too. I don't mean to discount your whole like children's wing, but I, I just feel that like they showed us those particular characters and they didn't show us other characters for a reason. Yeah. Maybe Ada wasn't at school during the whole yeah. Tove. Maybe she wasn't at school. They just didn't know how to break it to uh Tove and Crester. Crester. They just didn't know how to break the death of a child. Because now, thinking on it, pretty much everyone dealt with someone's death. Then mm-hmm. I'm still going to be frustrated that we don't know what Angel did. I know. That's well, on, honestly, he he didn't have nearly as big a role as I thought he was going to have. But I think his, him and Ramiro, their their backstory as to why they would be on you know, space station forgetful is like, <laughs> I think that's the, that's the one backstory and maybe Olick too. I guess I want to know what happened because he's pitched as such a nice guy. And then like we right. talked about last episode, seeing the blood on the snow and stuff like that. I don't know. Two, two sketchy care, three sketchy characters. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. Always, always sidetracking. Sorry, everybody. Always, always sidetracking. I might have ADHD. I'm not sure. Probably not. But <laughs> we both do. It's. I think. I think it's official. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go back everyone, and talk. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, everyone, leave us a comment. Who's more uh, ADHD esque, Steve <laughs> or me? <laughs> it's a toss up. But if we- you if you vote for me, you'll hurt my feelings. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna try to get people to vote for you and like you're trying to get no, some votes no, on your side. No, 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 you get more votes. <laughs> I'll take them. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go for it. Go for it. Um we're back here talking to Henry and Elliot again. Uh Henry says, Yeah, we're trapped in this simulation so Mara can keep Elliot alive. This is kind of what I was harping on just a couple minutes ago. Uh Elliot doesn't seem to believe that. We do know that about the Plato's allegory that comes up again in Mara's fascination with it as a kid. And as a little kid, Mara said, you know, how do we know that this world that we're living in is reality? How do we know that this is not a simulation? And how do we know that we're not on the outside looking in? And her dad kind of comes back and was like, oh, God. And she's like, well, how do we know God is real? Who created God? Are we just his dolls that he plays with? And she's asking a lot of big questions for a little kid and impressing her dad and letting us, the viewers, know that Mara is very capable of of these um, abstract and impressive thoughts and that she's got the type of mind that could probably build a simulation of some sort. (laughs) She's got a very scientific mind. Uh, Henry tells us that Daniel has been lying, that Mara has the key to the way out, which literally she does, I guess. (laughs) Um, Daniel's hacking the system and it somehow makes things 
I don't know if mixing's worse. Seems like a mixing's worse to me. Like there's doors gone. Um, this is where the realities get mixed up and these strange doorways open, like these, not doorways, but these portal ways open that everybody is kind of forced out of. So I'm not sure of the significance of that. If he was trying to force them out, I do know that Mara's hallways don't have any crystals in them. She seems to be like just having an easy time walking around while everybody else is getting squished out. But we're all in different memories now. Virginia and Tove go to Jerome's memory. Ling Yi and Ramiro are in Ramiro's memory, except they have different perspectives of who's in that well. Like Ling Yi hears it's her friend that she accidentally killed in the well. But to Ramiro's ears, it's Angel that's in the well. Um, Jerome and Clements are in Ling Yi's world. And they think they hear Lucian in the box in there. Sebastian's watching all this go down on the TV sets. And Henry sends Sebastian out to go get the key. We're concerned. Let's see. He's concerned that Daniel is trying to wake her up. But I'm thinking, don't they both kind of want to wake her up? Like... It seems like they both kind of have the same goal, but they just can't come to a consensus with each other. Because doesn't Henry want her to wake up as well? His stance is a little confusing because it sounds like he wants her to wake up, but I don't know if it's like because he's suffering in the simulation, if she has to stay and suffer too. I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure. Well, Henry thinks Daniel's trying to hide something. He thinks that Daniel's doing all this and he's asking Daniel, like, what are you trying to hide? Which is something that he says. And I didn't quite follow that either. Um, but it, it puts the doubt in my mind. Um, well, maybe it's that Elliot's dead. Maybe Mara, that maybe Mara just really has no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Henry's, I mean, not Henry, uh, Daniel is trying to kind of get Mara to figure things out, like, on her own terms. Like, in in episode one, like, the kid, like, handed her the pyramid. So, like, in her hand, she had the pyramid, she had the boy, she had the key in her locket. She had everything right there that she needed, that she could, like, just simply put that key into that pyramid on episode one. But I think it took a lot of convincing because you can't just tell somebody, you know, hey, I'm your son that you forgot. And that guy's your husband. And you put this little key in this thing and then you're going to wake up. And, you know, she needs to come to these terms herself instead of believing some craziness of a guy who swam across the ocean. Wet man. (laughs) Wet man. Well, we have some situations here with our uh, with our side characters. Uh, Ling Yi heard her friends like yelling in the well. That freaked her out, so she like ran off through a portal and ended up in Olik's world. And we get this really cool shot. I don't know why, but it just, maybe it just looks cool. Olik covered in oil. Oh uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool when was, he comes up out of a. I thought it was his great shed. But I didn't know what it meant. Like, 
I mean, I know we got the black pyramids and we got the black liquid that makes you forget. I just, it just didn't make any sense to me. It looked very cool, <laughs> but I just couldn't figure out why he was in there. Oily, oilic. <laughs> I have no idea. But he, uh, maybe he was there to lead Ling Yi because he goes and opens up another portal to help her out. Um, I think we're trying to get everybody to reset at this point. It seems like the pathway is just to reset everything. Henry tells Elliot, oh yeah, this is, this is nice. He tells Elliot that his dad will always choose his mom over him. Uh, thanks for that thought. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to hear that. Even if it's true, you don't want to hear it. Yeah. We're going to come back to Mike and Ike and Mora, though. They're back, and they haven't been through this crazy trauma. Like, everybody else has been going through some some big-time trauma. I didn't mention, like, Virginia and Tove had a little situation, too, and Virginia's hand starts disappearing. And she's flipping out. But Ike and Mara, they're fine. No, no crystals in the hallway. <laughs> no nothing. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that, too. Ike and Mara are the ones that decided to stay in the ship and try to figure things out. And the other six were like, we need to leave. We're leaving the ship. And then they were met with all this craziness, all this weirdness. And I know that Daniel messed with the code to make that happen, but I think that's significant. Like they tried to leave and they all suffered. Ike and Mara didn't. And it's not to say they didn't suffer, but they didn't go through like some weird head trip like everybody else did. Right. They all meet up again, though. Um, Ling's pretty confused here. She's asking after Olick. Angel, we hear Angel start singing, and we know it's him because that's what the closed caption tells us. <laughs> and his singing leads everybody away. Meanwhile, Mike, <laughs> Mara lets Ike know. If they were like a couple, that's what they would be like known as Mike, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, she lets Ike know that th about the simulation. And at this point, Sebastian enters the room and he wants the key. He's not taking any guff from anybody. He's like, no games, just give it to me. Mara hands it over to him. And then Sebastian, unfortunately turns the captain off at this point. Uh, he does the thing and Mara starts yelling at him and he says, it's too late now. I can't do anything. So all he did was like turn off Ike's body there. He's laying in Mars hallway and then Ike wakes up in his other reality, right? Oh, no, no. We don't see him again until the very end, but we see him in yeah. the ship though. So it's not like he's dead. That's what I was getting at. Right. Sebastian says it's too late for him. So I guess his body is permanently lifeless in this reality. I guess once somebody is turned off like Yuck and Crestor went overboard and then he turned off Neville Longbottom and like no, none of those people came back. So I guess once you get turned off, you can't come back. But Mora and the key get taken to Henry. So now the key is in Henry's hand. Mara sees the TVs and she knows he's been watching. And so, of course, that pisses her off. Just like when she was a kid, she didn't like that. She doesn't like being watched. Henry does the cool little reality shift from his office 
to room 1011, back to our favorite room where the torture chair is. And he starts explaining about how everybody is either a seeker or a keeper or a beater. I'm talking Quidditch here. This is Harry Potter stuff. No, they're either seekers or avoiders. And I'm pretty sure I'm an avoider. I'm not in, in these categories. I don't want to be out there looking for pain. But Henry insists that Mara is a seeker. And this is not his mind game. He makes that clear. Like, this is not me doing this. This is you doing this. He tells Mara that she's the creator and they're trapped in there because of her. So he wants to give her the little black forgetful injection. And when she gets the injection, this is when the ship like burns up. And we know now that Daniel switched the injections. She was supposed to get the black injection to make her forget everything that just happened. So I guess at that point, Henry could run another simulation or another simulation would run. But instead, because of Daniel's interference, she does not forget. What happens instead is the the ship simulation burns up and we see everybody burn up inside there. We don't really get like a good goodbye for all these folks, but... Our six side characters are now gone. Henry, at that point, enters the key into the pyramid to do the thing. But nothing happens because Daniel changed the code. And at this point, Mara wakes up on Pyramid World. And then she sees the cross and it's illuminated. That's like um, Elliot's grave. In the religious imagery, and we can't bypass that, very religious imagery here, that she walks towards. So she goes down into Elliot's room and Daniel joins her, lets her know that this whole thing worked, that they're in the first simulation that they created. And this is why I think that Elliot is dead and they keep him alive in the simulation world and they built this goofy room for him to live in, in the simulation world. Like that's what Daniel tells Mora that they built that there and they built all of this. Um, they switched the ring, the pyramid around the injections were switched around, but her brother has been in control this whole time that Mara has been in the simulation. We don't know how long that is, but her brother, according to Daniel has been the guy running things and that he's got to be stopped for whatever reason, Daniel says, and this is interesting. Like Henry's all like Daniel's lying. You know, Daniel sucks, but Daniel's says about Henry. He's just as stuck here as we are. So I think Henry has the wrong impression of Daniel or Daniel's a super good liar. (laughs) So he tells her that Mara has to, to wake up and stop him him being Kieran, the brother, or all will be lost. Daniel says he'll always be there for her. Hell yeah, Daniel. So she does the thing. She puts the ring into the pyramid, into the new pyramid, the goofy, like 80s looking pyramid. And this is when she wakes up and she's on her spaceship looking like David Bowie. And this is who she sees in order. She looks around the room and she sees Virginia, Ike, Crester, Tove, Olick, Ling, Yuck, 
Iben, Anchor, Angel, Ramiro, Lucian, Clements, and Jerome. So there's no Daniel, no Elliot, no Dad, no Sebastian. And when you watch the credits at the beginning of the show, and like all that cool stuff is happening, and like they showed like the actors' names, they actually list 20 actors in those names as like stars of the show, like the, the, the whole cast or whatever. And that cast does include Mara's dad and Sebastian and Daniel and Elliot. So I think it's significant that those four people are not in this room, but the other 16 people are in this room, all 20 of them right here or not here. (laughs) So that's when she looks out the window. We notice she's got that pyramid tattoo on her back and we see two empty pods and she goes to the monitor and it's her brother, Siren. He's the one that we don't like that does that goofy saying, may your coffee kick in before reality does. That's a Siren thing. So, yeah, we don't like Siren already. I already don't like the guy. Um, the same coordinates that he gives her that that ship is floating around are the same coordinates from earlier in the episode, like between the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm not sure if Earth exists and like this ship is just like floating around where Earth used to be or if those coordinates are just to like have a home spot to like have the simulation on. But at any rate, um, we have 1,423 passengers and 550 crew members on the spaceship Prometheus, which equals 1,973, 1973. I think that's significant that it's a year that is right in our wheelhouse here. <laughs> David Bowie's song came out in 1969. So I was kind of thinking it'd be cool if this song came out in 1973, this uh, Starman, but it did not. Currently, we are at October 19th, 2099. Siren says, hello, sister. Welcome to reality. We don't know if he's telling the truth or not, though. This is yet another reality. This could be our fourth reality or this could be the real reality. But this is the end of our episode what do you think? Do you think that what she woke up on was real or not? If you're a good scientist, like I'm imagining Siren probably is, and mm-hmm. Mara is, you have a control group, and then you test your variables against the control group. So variable one would be how you know, emotions and things and whatever Mm. they were really testing, test them in 1899 and then you test them in 2099. So 200 years. So shoot the gap, pick somewhere in the middle and maybe that's where they're really at. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's the the middle would be your, your control group, I guess that because that would be, what the true reality is what's happening right now i mean the other thing that i'm thinking is just from that one phrase that henry was saying that mara was like well who created who created god mm-hmm. and things like that so what if this is a simulation inside of a simulation well 1899 would have been the sim- the the simulation inside of the simulation 
Well, I mean, no, you're kind of I mean, it could be like a bigger question like that because they answered all our little questions pretty quickly. Like we had all these little questions like who's this boy? You know, what's Daniel's yeah. relationship? What did Ling do? Right. All that stuff got answered real quickly. But then at the end here, they throw a big curve at us. And so they're going to explore that next time around, allegedly. So maybe they're traveling to the center of space to find God himself. I don't know. I mean, Could and ask, ask God, why'd you do this to us? Why'd you make us emotional <laughs> wrecks? Uh, Siren translates to in, well, from uh, Gaelic, uh, it translates to little dark one. Mm-hmm. So what if it's the devil? I, I don't necessarily think maybe it has so much of a religious connotation. I think the religion thing was just to hearken on, uh, you know, Mars original thoughts, the whole, mm-hmm. where did God come from and stuff like that. And just to reinforce maybe that that's how all this started. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I, I don't know think there's something i i don't want to know i don't want to say that he's as evil as i think that the show is portraying him you mean the little devil siren yeah i mean the fact that it's a dutch name is i think it's really significant because we got a whole dutch family here that we're not sure how she how they tie in with mara yeah we also have a mother somewhere I don't think I said last week or the week before that I, the possibility that Virginia could be the mother in question, but they're too close in age, Virginia and Mara. Um, Cause Virginia is just supposed to be like in her late thirties. And I think Mara is supposed to be in her early thirties. So I don't think that's the case, but I think it's significant that they talked about the mom and how he built that whole hospital for his wife who had like lost her mind but then we don't know anything about her. Don't know what she looks like, what her name is. Oh, that's crazy. You know who else lost their mind? Who? Tove's mom. Yeah. And guess what? Guess how she lost her mind? Through trauma? Religion. Yeah. Well, trauma, but I guess the symptom was being a religious fanatic. So, and that ties in to Mara. I got to say, though, she died with a pretty sound mind. Ivan and she, Anchor. She, she literally finished it by going, let's pray. She kept that fanaticism <laughs> till the end. She did, but I didn't think she was like unwieldy and crazy. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she was. Yeah, maybe she was. <laughs> unwieldy and crazy. A brief, a brief moment of uh, sanity. A, Instead of lapse of insanity, right? Isn't that what it is? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what they say? Instead of a lapse of insanity, it was a lapse of sanity. Like every now and then she'd come to yeah. her senses. Yeah. <laughs> like when she pulled the gun from um, Tove's hands, that was like the most sensible I ever saw her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang. Well, let, um, let's take one, one more break All and right. come back and talk about the season And I'm going to check in with James real quick. I hope you don't mind that. But we're going to check in with James during this break. We're going to listen to some, uh, some drone gazer first. We'll be right back. 
Alrighty. And we're back from break, and I'm actually here with James now. Ahoy there, James. Hello, long time no sweat listeners. Did you <laughs> miss me? They've been writing letters each week saying, bring James back. Get this Nate chump out of here. We no, want our they, James. They, they've been writing, hey, just stay with 1899. We don't need this sweet <laughs> child of time bull spit. I mean, that is right. I, I made a pretty uh solid choice in doing 1899 because that really bumped up my uh mm-hmm. my podcasting abilities and my my weekly releases and everything so that's why we're here man 1899 has not been renewed for netflix which is a big boo in netflix's face right boo netflix get out of here we don't want <laughs> cuphead we want 1899 i'm kidding i want cuphead haven't seen cuphead but i have seen <laughs> half an episode of 1899 and i said this ain't for me man you were uh, so yeah you were part of those uh logistics where they were like yeah a lot of people started 1899 but they didn't finish it <laughs> so we're gonna cancel it so it's your fault man jesus christ let's just change up the show <laughs> sweet child of Prime, And not that we're going to just do Amazon Prime stuff. We are going to switch to Transformers, specifically Mm. Optimus Primal from Beast Wars, because it's in the news now. They're doing a movie of Beast Wars. Okay, scratch everything James just said. I'm not going to edit it out, but here is the actual plan for Sweet Child of Time starting next week. We got our man James back, and we're going to start over with season one of Wheel of Time because season two is right around the corner. And we need to refresh our brains as to what this whole Wheel of Time world is about. Do you remember Mm -hmm, much mm -hmm. of season one? I remember all of it. Okay, great. Okay, did you watch it twice or did you just watch it once before we record? Uh, just once. Okay, that's fine. I didn't, I didn't know. That's what Nate does too. Nate does the exact same thing you do. Watches it once, then we get on mic. There were some times when I'd have to go back just to check something, or maybe there was one or two weeks when we were going to record a specific day, then it had to be pushed back. Then I might have needed to watch it twice. Right on. Yeah, we're, um... Yeah, we're going to be doing a rewatch, but we're not going to be spoiling stuff. We're going to be re I mean, we both are spoiled to the entire season, but we're not going to be doing like, you know, mm-hmm. look aheads or nothing like that. We're going to keep it spoiler free. And that'll keep us going for at least uh, eight to nine weeks, James, with our Wheel of Time Ooh. coverage. And then after that, I think the listeners are going to like this a lot. Um, our friend, film critic Lindsay Dunn, is going to step in at that point. And we're going to start doing dark, y'all. We've already got it going on. Uh, we got the recaps ready. We're going to be going on with dark. So in between Wheel of Time season one and season two now is the dark time. And with me and Lindsay are going to be doing that. And check this out, James. You're going to like this. We don't know the, the release date for Wheel of Time season two. So I'm just assuming sure that it'll give us enough time to do dark. If we still have some extra time in there, we're going to bring back our boy Nate. And anytime I have like Wheel of Time news, I'm going to bring in James. Anytime I have mm-hmm. Dark News, I'm going to bring in Lindsay. Anytime I have 1899 news, I'm going to bring in uh, Nate. But what was my whole point? This is what Nate wants to do if we have time in between and we have 
um, episodes to Phil, he wants to do a Hanna-Barbera watch along and recap. And I know a certain dude is really into Hanna-Barbera named uh, Marshland Monster. But how? Could, what pun can we do? What are some sweet child of chimes? Sweet child <laughs> of time? But with a sweet child of slime? Or you want to know what we could do? Sweet child of rhyme? Because how Yogi Bear speaks, he's got that rhythm. He does. Even yeah, though rhyme and rhythm isn't <laughs> Well, really we don't have to worry same. about that. I've already renamed my podcast. It's Sweet Child of Time. TV recaps of 1899 and Wheel of Time. And then we'll just change it up to say TV, uh, Sweet Child of Time, TV recaps of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sweet Child of Prime Time Ooh. animation. Because, hey, <laughs> Flintstones is the founding family yes. of animation in prime time. That is what we would start with is the Flintstones. Heck yes. But I only have one RSS feed and I'm not all about multiple RSS feeds. So yeah. that's why I'm keeping everything under the Sweet Child of Time banner where and we that's just why do we need TV to, recaps. We need to shoe in a I'm or Ein for nine or time. Wait, I got another one. <laughs> okay. Sweet Child of Lime where we <laughs> review and recap the 1985 television show Lime Street, only eight episodes. And you, you, yeah. you remember it, but for the audience that doesn't, <laughs> this we're following James Culver, a widower who is raising his two daughters Elizabeth and Margaret with his father Henry and investigates what do you think he investigates uh, in Britain mm, crimes uh, sort of it's insurance <laughs> cases with the British Edward Wingate why didn't I think that hell yeah <laughs> you Sweet lost child of lime. <laughs> yes. But a father named Henry, that sounds a lot like 1899. But yes, yeah, Sweet Child of Crime. Why can't we do like crime <gasps> series? Or Sweet Child of Mime, where we get on and we just like make motions to each other but don't actually talk? Holy Christmas. We or well, if we did Sweet Child of Mime, we could shoehorn that into Hanna Barbera. There was an episode where there was a clown who lost his color and he became a mime and he was evil in Powerpuff Girls. Which is technically a Hanna-Barbera production, unless we're doing the last season. (laughs) I followed that a lot better than I followed the Sweet Child of Lime um, Okay, (laughs) We could also do Sweet Child of Crime and just do Uh, Scooby-Doo. Isn't that a Hanna-Barbera property, too, though? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're confusing everybody. We're just sweet child of time, y'all. Let's let let me just put a kibosh on this whole thing. I mean, James, would you like to uh, start up some multiple RSS feeds and we can do multiple shows? I got it. I yes. got it. Yes. Sweet child of wine. We just get <laughs> drunk and talk. <laughs> oh, we can do like a, a a meetup with the wine cast. Isn't that what that's called? What's your other podcast you do? Uh, the Rewind, which is a podcast yeah. that I edit and I used to re- engineer, but because of pandemic and whatnot. Yeah, they come over. Sweet child of swine. <laughs> and we just do, um, what's that That Garfield oh, Peppa, spinoff? Peppa Pig. I would do Peppa oh. Pig. Or, okay, yeah, I, I guess, guess we could. Uh, yeah, Orson, I think is his name. But Orville? I thought it was like Child of Swine, or no, I'm just thinking of Child of Time. There is like Swine something. There's a comic strip that has swine in it. Okay, we got to <gasps> find it and get it. Oh, do we have Sweet to... Child of Shrine, and it's religion, oh, baby. That's my favorite, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, okay. 
I'm going back to the sweet child of, what would you say, swine? I lost it, James. You made me completely lose my train What, of lime or prime time because it's uh, Flintstones? <laughs> Will we be able to get through an episode of Wheel of Time? Find out here. <laughs> me and James have a good rapport. James always leads conversations in interesting places. But yeah, stay tuned for next week of more, with more of this for Sweet Child of Time. Um, James... One Anything? last thing. Yeah, this is say. a serious one. Yes. Nicole would love to be on it. Sweet Child of Stein's parenthetical gate. It's an anime, originally like a, a visual novel video game. It, Nicole says she cannot watch any time-traveling science fiction thing after watching Stein's Gate because it handles it so perfectly. And she's like, it, if you want time travel shit, this is it. Stein's Gate. Uh, this is this is for real. You you've really piqued my interest here, right at the very end. Uh, wh- when did this come out? This was 2009. Was the visual novel, and then the anime was probably 2010. It's somewhere around there. Listeners, I just wrote down Steingate, so I'm going to definitely check that out, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But next week, we're definitely starting Wheel of Time. We'll start with episode one. Leave taken. Me and Marshland Monster. Anything else, James? Before we sign off here. Uh, just that it was only maybe like 24, yeah, 24 episodes. So like Stein's Gate, guys, check it out. Heck yeah. Thank you, buddy. All right. See you next time. Bye. All right. We're back. That was Drone Gazer again. And that was also our buddy James talking to us there about what's going on next week. But we're still here talking about 1899. We got plenty of time to go into this, uh, to the series finale here. Did you happen to go back and rewatch any this past week, Nate? I did not. Hmm. hmm. I did. So I have, I have a good memory, though. So, <laughs> well, first off, I would recommend for you and anybody else who enjoyed 1899 to go ahead and rewatch it. Not just for yourself, but for the team. Do it for the team because 1899 still needs your views. So go ahead and do it up. As you're watching the series, keep a close eye on Sebastian. Uh, Sebastian is really interesting to watch because you know now that he's working for Henry this whole time. But you don't know that in the first few episodes. So it's really interesting to watch Sebastian's reactions and the way he looks at Mara and the way he looks at Ike. Um, It's interesting. Uh, Something else from episode one that we didn't really... uh, talk about was the two guys that were shoveling coal down below. We had Landon, our funny guy who had the garlic, and then his buddy who was always kind of questioning Landon. Mm -hmm. His buddy had a back tattoo that I didn't notice until the rewatch. He had a full back tattoo of like Moby Dick, Moby Dick's tail, and it tosses a ship upside down and you see like an upside down ship across his shoulders and a bunch of people falling out of the ship onto the whale's tail. I didn't notice it because it was he has so much like soot on his back, it's hard to see. But if you freeze frame it at just the right time, I mean, I put it on Instagram too. I think I put it on either Instagram or on Reddit. At any rate, it's there. That um, was cool. Uh, it reminded me of Dark because there was a character in Dark that had a very significant back tattoo that had to do with the story of the show as well. And then Elliot and Mara both had their little triangle tattoos on the back of their necks. 
and makes me wonder who else has a tattoo, um, little triangle tattoo. I don't see any others. Going back and rewatching it, I noticed that Virginia has the the triangle symbol on her green dress and like woven into the pattern. So that's something to look out for too. And way back in episode one, you see Ling Yi's um, kimono. You can see, you can clearly see the triangle on the back of her kimono as well, which I'd never noticed until like episode four. Hmm. But it's all there, episode one. And also there, episode one, like I already said, uh, Elliot hands her the triangle. She's got the key right there. You know, that just kind of neat that all this stuff was right there at the very beginning. I wanted to say something else about Landon, how much I liked Landon. And he kept talking about wolves and that was like his theme basically was his preoccupation with wolves. And I found out that that was just um, Bo Bedar's cute way of paying credence to Michael Landon who starred in or oh. I was a teenage werewolf. So basically Landon's character and his name and talking about wolves is just a nod to, um, to that movie, hmm. a teenage where I was a teenage werewolf. <laughs> so that's cool. Let's see. We had the sink ship episode, of course. Um, that was episode two. Tove and Crestor. They're also really interesting to watch starting from episode one. While you go back and do your rewatch, Nate, because I know you will, nod your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crestor is the worst character. He sucks. <laughs> Going back and listening to the things that he says in like episode two and three to like his sisters. And just the fact that when he was supposed to be looking for Ada, he's like getting a hand job from Angel instead. Like he's the worst of them all. He's the worst. So <laughs> Bottom rank for Crestor. All right. I wanted to say, too, in episode two especially, episode two was a big standout for me visually. A lot of weird visual things happened, and we kind of agonized over a lot of those visual things, like Clements's dress and the way it kind of like ghosts across the floor and the way that everybody stays within these little boxes. And um, that's a big point of conversation between Jerome and Clements, too. And it was just cool stuff. I mean, looking back, these shots were just cool and they looked neat. And like Landon and this whole talk with the wolves, it was just fun. I support that. I mean, it's okay that it didn't have like a huge meaning just because it was fun and it made me laugh. And like certain scenes were just neat, shot well. Um, a lot of a lot of really dark scenes that you couldn't really see what was happening, but you kind of could. They were like just dark enough. Mm-hmm. And then they would have these outside shots, especially like with Tove's world and with Jerome and Lucian back in the war, like really like sunlit, brightly beautiful shots in the full sunlight. I mean, I think. I don't know. I even though I, these scenes, some of these scenes didn't really mean anything. I was still, I still love them. I'm still with it. <laughs> oh, my favorite part. This is my, one of my favorite scenes and it's made me laugh every time I see it. It is not supposed to make you laugh. 
Um, it's when Ike busts in the room on episode two, busts into Mara's room, grabs Elliot, shoves him against the wall, and is like, what are you hiding from me? What are you doing? <laughs> I, and like the boy starts crying and freaking out. It, it's just so out of character. It's just, it makes me laugh. I don't know why. It's not supposed to make me laugh, but it does. It's just unhinged. <laughs> and I like it. Oh, Ada. Let's talk about Ada again. Remember how much we were bagging on her for like just laying there, like not looking dead? Yeah. That's what she was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So good job, Ada. Yeah, good job. (laughs) Sorry to Ada's actress for making fun of you for not knowing how to act. (laughs) You You did a better job than we could have done ever. That's right. Something I noticed in episode three, uh, the boxes were really significant there. We had Alfred in a box later on, of course. Um, Jerome in a cage. Ling Yi in a box. But when I watched the intro scene to The Fog, I don't know why it was this episode that it, it dawned on me. The very last shot of the um, opening credits, you have a close-up of Mara's face. And like the color turns from yellow to red and the boat like, like this, it skirts across her face like that. You see the boat. And I noticed in this episode that Ike has a scar that goes the exact same way that the boat goes across Mara's face. And, um, I told Heather that and Heather says, you're just looking for things that doesn't mean anything. But both those things are on purpose. That's not the actor's scar. That's a scar that they put on his face. Mm-hmm. And the boat going across Mara's face, of course, was a creative choice. So I think that they're connected more than we realize. Obviously, they are. Like, Daniel and Mara are husband and wife. So Ike can't be a lover, but he can be, like, a brother. He can be... A brother. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning towards. Um, or. Yeah. You ready for this? Maybe. So to run with this, to run with one of your previous statements, what if Daniel is dead? Mm-hmm. Elliot's dead. Daniel's dead. Okay. What if Ike is the new love interest and Daniel is just. Well, PO'd about it. And doing everything he can to stop them from getting together. Yeah. What if he's the one that makes the simulations fail Mm. every time so that he can keep Mara close to him? That makes total sense, actually, because I do kind of think that Daniel's not necessarily alive. Um, I think he's kind of in the same realm as Elliot. So, heck yeah, man. Jeez. And yeah, they, they... Going back and rewatching these episodes, Daniel and Ike do not like each other. Mm-mm. Like they agree with each other every now and then, but it's grudgingly. Right. I like that a lot. Uh, episode three is also where um, Mara says that she lost everything. That's what she tells somebody at the beginning of this episode that she, that she's lost everything. She doesn't want to go back to Europe because she's lost everything. So she doesn't remember anything at this point, but she knows that she lost everything. And to me, everything means Daniel and Elliot. 
so I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Episode three was the first time we saw those white cabinets in the doctor's office, and that's where the iPad was the whole time. So if Dr. Murray could have just <laughs> grabbed that iPad, he maybe could have done something with that. Uh, the overall sound design of the show is crazy good. Like ev almost every scene when you're inside of a cabin with another character, you can hear like the other conversations happening in the other cabins. And I was putting on headphones trying to like make out what people were saying in those other conversations. I mean, cause they could put anything in there. Like I know when I do songs and I'm like, yeah, I want to put something, you know, a whispery voice here. I'll usually pick something that I already have on audio and then like alter it. Mm. So I'm wondering if the show creators did that with this dialogue and just kind of like made background dialogue out of that. Or if there's clues hidden in that background dialogue that we're not picking up. Let's see. Episode four was the one I was telling you about that Jerome's eye suddenly looked way better than it did the previous episode. But I give that a pass because we're in a simulation. Uh, this is the episode where we talk about the two sides, where there, there's the good side and the bad side. I mean, later on, everybody joins side, but right in the middle of this episode is when everybody's divided, which is significant. Uh, we see Daniel's ring finger is all burn up in this episode. That's the only time they show it to us. I think that lends to the theory that Daniel's not alive anymore. Uh because he can't put that ring on that scarred up finger because whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, and this is the episode where the boy gets tossed in return, the Jenner the Whale situation. The Calling was my favorite episode. Number five. Absolutely. It, the one that ended with Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. This is the one where we saw Henry for the first time. This is where we got introduced to the tunnels for the first time. Um. Oh, yeah, and this is the episode that confirmed that Crestor always sucked, was episode five. <laughs> Just some, some of the things that he was saying to Tove, like, um, this is the episode that he said, um, uh, it's not my fault what happened to you. And we don't know what happened to her at that point. We do now. And just the way he said it was so crappy. Um, as if to say he didn't even care what happened to her. It's like... Not only was he not trying to take responsibility, but he was basically just trying to pretend like it no never happened. And you suck, Crestor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next episode, episode six, is, uh, this is the episode that I realized that it was Mara that was telling everybody to wake up. And this is where I wanted to bring that up, that every time somebody's trying to wake up, it's Mara saying, wake up. Do you think she's saying that to them, like, in the spaceship? It doesn't seem to me like she would be, but it seems possible. Mm. Part of me doesn't... I don't really think so, because, I mean, she's... She's asleep, too. Mm-hmm, right? she is. Yeah, so... I, I just can't... I don't think that it's... I think maybe it's her almost subconscious... Maybe it's that whole, because we talked about it in our first episode of the podcast, that id, ego, and superego. Mm -hmm. It's whatever that most primal layer is that's trying to get her to, it's the survival instincts telling her to get up, move forward, and do things like that. 
And then how that becomes part of everybody else's thing, maybe with the simulation and some kind of shared consciousness. So are we trying to get people to forget their trauma or remember it? Because it seems like Mara is telling people to wake up from their trauma, but then it's the ship that helps them remember their trauma. Like Jerome will see flashes of like his past and Ling Yi would see flashes of her past. What if this is like a super intensive or alternative, maybe not intensive, but alternative form of like grief therapy Mm -hmm. where you can compartmentalize your grief in the simulation and you can work through it in the simulation and then when you become conscious again your actual body becomes conscious you've gotten over that grief or trauma whatever it would be and then you're able to just move forward from it that fits in with what they said about lucid dreams about how you can like when you're lucid dreaming you can confront your past and conquer it yeah, that makes total sense. So I don't know if like Mara is the one to kind of help, um, you know, help them in that respect. And then it's her brother who's. <laughs> Maybe it's like some kind of weird form of group therapy, too. I mean, obviously, they all volunteered for this. They're on they're on board with this. Yeah. We also get the same episode. We get the question who is dreaming more or Ike. And yeah, I kind of think that they're, that they're both dreaming that it's a collective dream. Like you said, um, I don't know this episode also episode six and every episode up until this episode, angel speaks perfect English, um, perfect English. And then later on, I think it's in episode seven, where he's like, will somebody please explain to me what's going on? Like he's acting like he doesn't know what's happening. And he asked that question in Spanish when he speaks perfect English. So he should know exactly what's going on. So I thought that was, um, I don't think that's a slip up. I think that was intentional. I don't think anything on here is a slip up. I think our, our creators of this show aren't going to slip anything in there. That's uh, faulty. What if angel, it's just a psychopath. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> He's a wolf. I mean, we know that for sure. Yeah. Oh, something else too. Yeah. That's, I found out about the, uh, that painting in Angel's room of like the wolf and the sheep. I mm. uh, found out that painting was just put there by their, um, their prop department. You know, their prop department like was very period specific about the things they put on there. And so when um, Bo Bedar saw that painting that one of the prop masters put in there, that's when she added the dialogue about the wolf and the sheep. So all that was inspired by a prop painting that she saw. Mm. So, you know, the snake has eaten itself. Yeah, the storm, the next episode, um, that definitely solidifies the simulation theory. Uh, Well, I mean, we know that now, but... Episode seven is what like really hammered that home to us. This is the episode two where we saw different characters enter other characters' memories, which solidifies that collective theory. 
uh, Virginia's flashlight, when you go back and watch, <laughs> everybody's carrying these lanterns around, right? And mm-hmm. Daniel has this cool flashlight that um, Landon's buddy takes notice of. But Virginia has what looks like a more modern flashlight that she's carrying around. And Heather said, no, it's just a lantern that is directing its light in a certain way. But it looks like a flashlight, man. It looks like she's carrying around a flashlight. What's that? <laughs> episode seven? Yeah. Because after... So yeah. No, I'm sorry. Episode six. Episode six. Episode six. Because yes. after we saw the TV screens, I tried to keep a, a pretty open eye for anything that was going to be more modern compared to eighteen nine, like the year 1899. Right. So like we saw the TV screens and then the devices and the flashlight, Daniel's flashlight. But I don't know if that was, if that was a flashlight that, Vic, that she had. I don't know how I would have missed that. I never got like a real clear look at it, but everybody else had their lanterns and she had this thing that would like, you know, project like a, like a flashlight hmm. and it looked black too. Uh, so I'm just check on the rewatch, you know? Um, yeah. In the last episode too, I wanted to mention that the whole Tove family was up there except for Ada, which makes me believe that perhaps Ada was the reason for their collective grief. And that maybe that this, um, the assault that happened to Tove is a planted memory or maybe they're tied in together. But what we do know is Ada is not up there with them in that spaceship. And the last episode just made me think, what did the different pyramids and the different keys even really matter? Like if Henry had put that gold key into that black pyramid and turned it, would she have woken up at that point? Because it seemed like that's what would happen. That's what it said inside the pyramid, wake up. Mm-hmm. But instead, Daniel got control of it. And, and Daniel's pyramid and ring made her wake up instead. So I'm wondering if she woke up with Henry's pyramid, if she would have woken up somewhere else. Or if the whole cycle would have just started up all over again. Don't. No, Daniel just reprogrammed. Mm-hmm. So doesn't it just make that pyramid, the black pyramid, just becomes useless? I guess so. But let's say he didn't switch them. Wouldn't the same thing have happened like when Henry put that key into that pyramid? That Mara would have woke up? Yeah, because all he did was switch the the receiver he, he put the code into a different receiver I feel like that's that's a little outside of my wheelhouse I mean me too <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, I I don't really know how to grasp how that how that would work because that's I guess I just don't understand that enough to make an educated guess on it I don't know I don't know either I don't know. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap it up with, with just a few facts that we know going out. 
Spitting facts, Steve. Go for it. That Elliot is at least four uh, simulations deep. He's got four distinct simulations that he's in. Um, They have all made a decision to forget their past. It seems to me that everybody's trying to forget something or everybody's, um, you know, forgetting or running away. What's that? I said forgetting or running away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, According to Henry, Mora has everybody fooled. But according to Daniel, Henry is also trapped in the simulation. But Mora will always share her knowledge with people. Once she learns something, she talks it out and tries to bounce it off somebody. So she's not hiding anything, it seems like. That just sounds like a healthy coping mechanism. (laughs) Daniel speaks in riddles. So I'm not... I'm I'm leaving this um, season not fully trusting Daniel. I liked what you said about how he could be dead and Ike could be the, the new guy and Daniel stopping that from happening. That makes total sense. I, I also just don't trust, I don't know, just based on the fact that uh, Henry doesn't trust him, but Daniel doesn't see Henry as a threat. I don't know. I don't trust Daniel. I think he's in on something here. I haven't trusted white man since he (laughs) dolphined himself up onto the ship with his, with his silly little beetle and, and all that. Hey, I like Alfred. Hey, don't talk talk about Alfred like that. That's scrappy. (laughs) Scrappy. But yeah, you trust your gut, man. You, your, your gut has served you well. So keep trusting it. Well, that is it for 1899, man. Well, hold hold your horses right now. Hold them. Because I got something for the listeners. Great. Alrighty, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys put in the work and you get the show rebooted, you, you send your letters, you use your hashtags, whatever those kids do on the Instagrams, <laughs> we will run a raffle if the show gets renewed. And we will send you a Sweet Child of Time pod 1899 t-shirt. She'll have the logo on it. And it'll probably have some kind of goofy saying on the back like screw Crestor <laughs> or something. And, and I don't know, maybe Steve and I will sign it. Or maybe we'll just send it to you with some kind of goofy letter. Yep. Wherever you are. Argentina, New Zealand, wherever you are. We we got you, but you got to put in the work. And put the hashtags in and all that. And, so you're uh, saying if they do that and we get a second season, my then how, how do they get into the running for this for this cool t-shirt? Well, we'll have to work out we'll have to work out the the details of what the raffle will be and stuff like that. So I love this. Yeah. I mean, you've seen my thumbnails I make for every episode. I like, I like making these designs so I, we can whip something up. Awesome. I like this a lot. And you said, where are our listeners at? Oh my gosh. Mostly we're in America and UK, 
but I'm seeing listeners in Canada, Germany, Australia, Sweden, Netherlands, Mexico, India, Chile, Norway, Austria, Belgium, Brazil, Spain, Turkey, Japan, Italy, Portugal, Denmark, Slovenia, France, Singapore, New Zealand, Puerto Rico, South America, Finland, Poland, Serbia, Russia, Ireland, Colombia, Thailand, Iran. I, I can't keep going. There's too many. We got people all over the world listening to us. So wherever you are, enter in that sweepstakes. You can get in there. I know you can. Nate, we get some good tunes this week. We were listening to Drone Gazer. That song, let me look at that up again one more time. Old Gods, New Masters. It's in the show notes. Everybody has their job to do now. You have to go listen to some dr- Drone Gazer. You got to follow Introvoid, Void Masters, Sweet Shot of Time Pod. Get your hashtags, get your letters. What else are we doing here, Nate? Oh. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, sorry, <laughs> what else are we doing? <laughs> that, that was for you to say, I think that's enough. <laughs> oh, okay. I think that's enough. Nate, if we hear some news about 1899, we're bringing you back in here. Next week, we're going to be talking to James, doing some Wheel of Time, but we got to check in with Void Master. We got to check in with 1899. And Nate... I won't be talking to you next week, and I want you to know, I want you to find that water and shade everywhere you are, and I want to thank you sincerely for doing this podcast with me on 1899. It's been a lot of fun. It certainly has, and I appreciate that you let me come on here and ramble the way that I do, and I appreciate all the listeners who, you know, have to hear, have to hear my, uh, well, what I'm doing right now, my long pauses and all that other kind of stuff. <laughs> I know Steve does a really, really good job editing and things like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have been enjoyed this. So please put the work in. Let's get the season two going. And uh, I hope that you also found water and shade, Steve. Right on. I will next week watching some Wheel of Time. Next week, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.